Hey folks, I'm Kathy Parker with Beyond the Ball Field. This is not your typical sports show. We won't be talking X's and O's, but we will be talking about raising your family in the sports-crazed world. Let's not only survive sports, but let's learn to thrive on and off the field. So please, join us as we look at life beyond the ball field. Hey folks, thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Ball Field. I'm excited today to speak with Natalie Stormont. Natalie and her husband, Jeff, started a ministry called Power Cross about 14 years ago. And man, have they made a difference in our world. If you have kids that are involved in sports, you need to hear this story. It is definitely a game changer. And we are so blessed to be able to hear from her today. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to relate to several things that we can take and do right at the ball field, because that's where they started and where they spend most of their time. Welcome to our show, Natalie. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kathy. We're always honored to come on and share with people how God has impacted our life and used us to change our community. And uh, 2020 is actually going into our 14th year, which is crazy to think of, but we have been um, learning and ministering and growing as we moved on through the Lord over the past 14 years and trying to reshape young men's life using uh, the things that they enjoy, which are athletics and food. And those are kind of our two biggest draws for them. Boys, athletics and food. They sort of all go together, don't they? That they do for sure. We cannot have one of them without the other. It doesn't feel like. Well, tell us how you got started with uh, your ministry, Power Cross. Yeah, so my husband and I moved um, from Knoxville, Tennessee, where we were, uh, where we met and got married and had our son, TJ. We moved to Statesville, North Carolina in 1999. And at the time, um, I was a believer in Christ and had a relationship with Jesus, but my husband did not. Uh, Our son was two, so he obviously did not yet either. Um, Through about five years of just praying and really seeking God, uh, we got to a point where I really just kind of asked God to let me out of the marriage instead of stay in it. It was just not um, a relationship that was productive for me or for anyone. And God continued to tell me to hang strong and to endure. And sure enough, about two years later, so it was a long window of time, my husband accepted Christ. And when he does things, he really goes all in. Uh, we had been successful business people. I was a professional photographer. He was a Southeast manager for a company and did very well. Uh, we had a great house, had you know nice income, had a boat, nice cars, all of those things. And uh, when he accepted Christ, he felt immediately that he needed to do a 360 on his life. Our son, TJ, was in third grade when all of this took place. And when we had moved to Statesville, we moved to a historic district, which basically means it kind of lined right up against some of the public housing of the community. So he actually went to a real low-income school. It's about 90% free and reduced lunch. And he was the minority student there, uh, being a white kid from a middle-class family with two parents. And so he befriended kids with totally different home lives than he had. He was a single child, an only child. And he kind of went, you know, pretty quickly and wanted to have friends come over. So he picked three friends to come home with him from school one day and happened to be three kids that were 
um, you know, fairly low income um, black kids, you know, when that was unusual for us at the time. So they came home from school with him one day and we treated them just like TJ. So we helped them with their homework first. I made them a snack. Jeff took them outside to play football in our yard and they came back in and we ate dinner together as family. And then Jeff taught what he likes to refer to as the worst five minute Bible study that had ever been taught in the state of North Carolina. And we took the boys home and we thought, well, that was fun for TJ, fun for everybody. And then the next day, the kids were asking TJ, can we come back again next week? So we went to pick them up again the following week. And instead of just being the three little boys, there was eight of them. And they were like, we wanted to come too. And so it really grew organically in our house for about a year and a half until we just really felt like God was continually to call on us and tell us that there was a greater need than what we were doing. And I have been to your house when there were many, many, many boys in it. In fact, I, I have a great memory of a ball being kicked and hitting a mirror and breaking it. And it was like, it, it was it was one of those times where you sort of grew out of, of that house very, very quickly with this ministry. There was a certain dream that you and Jeff both started having. Can you go into some detail on that? Yeah, absolutely. So for us, um, you know, when when things began to shift in our life and our focus began to be on serving Christ instead of, you know, having nice cars and living for basically the world, even though we maybe didn't recognize that that's how our life had been before Jeff accepted Christ. Um, you know, everyone around us felt like we were crazy. Our family said, you're not a preacher, you're not a teacher, you're not a psychologist, you have no business trying to mentor kids in the capacity that you're doing. But we just continued to see a need. These kids um, had parents that were incarcerated or were you know, working two and three jobs and never home. And the 10-year-old's taking care of the five and three-year-old. And we just saw such a great need. But we still felt really torn about living the life that would supply for our son, the life that we had hoped for him to have. And over the course of about six months, I guess, um, I had a dream uh, where I would see my husband kind of being interviewed in an indoor football complex. And there was kind of a, a cross and some other things in the back. And there was kids playing football. And I could just see a, a sports program logo in the front of it. And then you know, I didn't really think anything about it. Um, one night, though, after we'd been um, doing the ministry and some sorts from our house for about six months, I woke up at about 3 a.m. and my husband was just sitting there wide awake. And I said, what, you know, what are you doing? And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I just had this really cool dream about you and the boys, I think. And he said, okay. And, and then he said, well, hold on a second. And he said, here's something that I've been dreaming. And he started sharing with me that he had had a dream of all of these kids and in the indoor football complex. And then adults raising their hands and praise and worship and he had had this dream for about a year like from the moment that we first started the first bible study he had been having this dream and so I just looked at him and I said I just had the exact same dream and for us you know we knew that that was God telling us that you know this is a vision from me this is not you guys this is something that I want to communicate to both of you and we knew at that point that God was really telling us to do greater things than we were doing we had been funding the ministry pretty much by ourselves because we didn't really know we were starting a ministry. So we were just using our savings account to 
pay for the boys' backpacks and shoes and dinner, and we bought a van so we could get on back and forth from the house to our house or from the school to our house. And then when it rolled around for football season, we went, and there was only about three boys there out of the 40 that were coming and destroying our house every week. So we asked them the next time, you know, why aren't you signing up for football? And they said, well, it's $80 to play, and we need cleats, and I don't have a right to practice. And if I can't play, my brother can't play. So we knew at that point that athletics was a good tool for us to be able to use a structure and discipline and accountability for them. So my husband and I had done well financially. And we said, well, we'll sponsor you guys to play this year as long as you keep coming to our house for academic help. You don't get in trouble at school. You come for Bible study. And so that's how the athletics was integrated into Power Cross after we'd had the dream and felt like God was really solidifying our vision for that. Um, not long after that, probably six months later, um, my husband had pretty much decided to quit his job, which I told him was a terrible decision because he was 90% of our household income. <laughs> but he felt like God was really telling him, I need you to go all in on this. And of course, there's a lot of God moments between here and there. Um, but at that time, we decided that, you know, we were going to really lay down most of what we had worldly and give everything that we could. Um, to honor God with what we had and let him use that. And that's when the ministry really became a full-time daily um, outreach within our community. And you're talking about community, the impact. And you're you're such a great teacher, Natalie. And I have seen uh, you work with these youth, and now you have several um, volunteers that come that tutor. And you you're great at giving statistics. So in the community that you're in, and and you or you could even use the state of North Carolina. What is the how has Power Cross, a ministry like Power Cross, impacted statistically your area? Um, statistically, you know, the graduation rate for the kids that we work with is definitely higher. Uh, we, if we have a kid in our program for at least two years, even if they're just here from 10 to 12 and they figure out athletics really isn't their thing, but we're going to have taught them responsibility and a vision for their future. Anybody that's been within our program for at least two years has graduated from high school 100% of the time. So that's, you know, significantly higher than the national and state average for the kids demographic that we work with. Okay. Um, right, okay. That's, I got to go stop ahead. you there because that's worth mm -hmm. repeating. So with boys that are in your program for over two years, your graduation yes, rate is 100%. 100%. Yeah, 100% right now. And we have about a 65% of our graduates are going on to secondary education in college. Um, okay, four I year guess, or two year school. Got to stop you on that one, too. All right. So, um, would you say most most of your kids are, are they black or Hispanic or what? what is the demographics there? Yeah, definitely. We're a higher um, population of serving um, young men that are African-American and black. Um, typically, we're about a 90 percent black and about a 5 percent Hispanic and a 5 percent Caucasian. Uh, we don't have a huge Asian population where we are. Uh, so typically we'll have, you know, basically those are the three demographics that we're serving on a daily basis. Now, I think I've heard you say before how the state of North Carolina decides how many prison cells to build. What have you, what that statistic, it was alarming to me. 
Yes. So um, a few years ago, we had done a case study with um, this organization that's the Bob Barker Foundation, and he's actually a gentleman who provides supplies to prisons, kind of has like a monopoly on prison clothing and bedding and all of these things. It's not the Bob Barker from The Price is Right. Um, And we were doing a study with their foundation, and we found that the way that they are estimating their product line growth is based on new prisons that are going to be built. And the way that they discovered that the new prisons were being built was they basically take a an overall look of third grade boys um, and determine at that point if they've been having truancy at school, they've had in-school reprimands, in-school suspensions, out-of-school suspensions, below grade level, just consistently from kindergarten, first, second, and third grade. If they've been one of those kids that kind of gets a star on their shoulder and says, this kid's probably not going to be an excellent student when he's older. And it's really even more than that. They're basically saying, we feel like in 15 years, we're going to have to have a spot for this kid to be in one of our prisons. So for us, obviously, that's challenging and kind of traumatic because those are the kids that we serve every day. So when they come through our doors, we're able to look at them and think, you know, you don't have to be a resident there. You, know, you can visit and we take them now on visits to our prison so that they are able to see things in a different uh, perspective than they do on TV and video games. They actually get to see a reality of what a prison looks like. And we try to teach them and expose them to ways, obviously, not to be there one day. We teach them to be responsible young men who are going to lead their homes and not leave their homes in 15 years um, through poor decisions that they made. But yeah, we just finished building a $17 million jail here in Statesville um, two years ago, actually. It actually just finished in 2019. And that's really hard for us because $17 million, we could run for, you know, 20 years. So it would be great to have had that investment from the community instead of the need for a larger jail. Okay. So you're hitting this straight on. You're not sugarcoating it. You're just saying, here here are the choices. You either invest in this youth right now in the third grade and, and try to combat some of these uh, social problems that, that just exist in every community, not in just your community in North Carolina, but every community. You either invest and you try to turn that curve right now or 10, 15 years, the outcome is going to be and it statistically has been shown. And obviously, if you're working with people that this is their livelihood providing the products for the prisons, and this is how they're calculating, it's probably worked uh, for, okay, if these kids are getting in trouble in third grade, this is where they're going to end up. So you're hitting that head on, not making any excuses about it, but being intentional about turning that curve around. Yes, absolutely. We start working with kids when they're seven. Um, That's our ideal age. Now, sometimes we'll have an eight-year-old with a six-year-old brother, and they're always kind of buy one, get one free at that time. So we'll get the extra one um, with them. But yes, typically we start at seven, and we go all the way through college with our kids. And we're trying from the first day that we have interaction with them, we understand that our window of opportunity begins to close. You know, the kids are with us for a season of their life. And for some of them, we've had for 10 and 12 years, and they'll carry with us all the way through into their early adulthood. 
some of the kids move pretty consistently or they'll shift from one family to another. They might roll into foster care or, you know, Power Cross is open to anyone, but it's definitely not for everyone. So we want to make sure that in each moment that we have with them, we're intentional about providing for them a greater vision for their future, helping them understand what a relationship with Christ looks like and how that can impact not only their future, but the future of their families. We definitely see a ripple effect in our boys that that get it and understand it and begin to have a daily working relationship with Christ that it ripples over into their family. But yes, from the moment they walk through our doors, we hold the child accountable for all their decisions, even at seven. We explain to them if they've left their football gear at home and they say, oh, but my mom did this, then we'll say your mom doesn't play football. You know, we have to get you understanding that you're responsible for you. And that goes across the board, academically, athletically, behavior. And then, of course, everything we do is centered around teaching them a relationship with Christ. And your structure, uh, you were talking a little bit about the academics and the rewards. What does a typical day look like and how are they rewarded for for making good choices and doing the right things? So a typical day for Power Cross Kids, uh, we provide transportation to about 90% of our participants. So we'll either pick them up via bus or van from their homes. They'll ride their school bus home usually because our kids live fairly central to each other, but they go to about 13 different schools. So we just don't have a fleet large enough to get to all of the schools at dismissal time. So we'll pick them up from school during the school year, bring them to our facility, and it's just like it was the very first day at our house. They'll have a snack when they come in, then we'll have uh, academic time available for them. Everything's a rotation, so they'll have one group doing academics while another group is having um, discipleship, while another group is having weight training or speed school or practice for whatever season it is. And then everybody rotates. And then around dinner time, everybody will have a rotation of dinner. And then we start taking them home, typically around 8 o'clock p.m. So that our little guys are usually home by 9 um, summers. And when they're out of school, it's just an extended day. So they have longer times with us. So we'll do a little bit more in-depth academic support through the summer and help the kids that are really struggling to be able to close some gaps. We'll be able to have, you know, more advanced athletic training and then also some recreation time so they can just play kickball or wiffle ball or something that's not as sports centered. Um, and then throughout the year, we'll have different events for them. We get to go see live baseball games. Obviously, you know, when Kyle was at Clemson, we got to bring the boys down a lot to watch him play. So we try to go and visit our college alumni that are in college around us locally will try to go and take the boys to their spring practices or their games and help them to have a personal connection with someone that grew up in the ministry as well. Um, we're pretty intentional about not rewarding the kids for stuff that they should do just as a solid responsibility. So you're not going to get rewarded for just doing your homework. Um, now, on the flip side of that, you have to meet an academic standard to be able to play. Uh, we teach them just like the NCAA and the high school is going to be for them when they get there, that they need to carry a 3.0 GPA. Academic All-American in college is 3-3, so we try to teach them that at a young age. And if they're not meeting those goals, they're never kicked out of the program for that because then they don't really have incentive to get the grades back up, but they can't play or they can't participate at the full level until we see that there's progress made for where they need to be. Um, as our kids are in high school, it looks a little bit different, and academically we become more of a guidance counselor for them. 
and ACT and SAT prep and help them with college applications and FAFSA and recruiting and all the other things that go along um, with that path. Typically, by the time our kids are in high school, they um, are definitely on track to go to college and they need more guidance and less actual tutoring and, and instruction. They've got it pretty well put together by then. Natalie, you you talk about FAFSA and and those kind of things for those high school students. And, you know, the fact is, is that our schools do not have enough counselors for the the, the workload of students that need that help. And for a mom who has filled out several uh, FAFSA applications, that is a huge task. And I have heard so many athletes that um, maybe they they're they're great athletes and um, and and decent students and and could go to the next level, but they haven't. There'll be times where they'll have to sit out for a semester or something like that because they had no clue about all these different regulations that the NCAA has, and that's important. So, what a great service that you're offering all of the kids that are in your program. Yeah, it's very, it's, those are difficult waters to navigate for someone that's never been there. And, you know, our son, uh, TJ was a first generation college graduate. My husband and I did not graduate from college. So he's helped us to learn things that, that we didn't know because we did not have the ability to do those either. So that's one way that I can always relate to our parents and tell them, you know, I also didn't go to college. I had, uh, you know, TJ younger than I'd hoped to. So let me teach you what we've learned along the way. And these kids get to high school <clears throat> in North Carolina, the graduation standard is not the, the same as the NCAA standard. So we have to teach them that, you know, our goal is not for you to graduate high school. It's for you to be eligible to receive a scholarship from one of these great schools that's going to help you with the abilities that God has entrusted to you to further your education and build your community. And when they're a freshman, we begin helping them with their class schedule to make sure that they're not doing, you know, two gyms or four electives or the things that they could possibly do to still graduate. Uh, and then, you know, the ACT prep is, is a huge part of it, um, helping them to understand that every class they take is important for those college entrance exams. And then, yeah, the FAFSA is a challenge, especially for a lot of our kids who are maybe being raised by someone different that actually has uh, custody of them. We've got this big chart, unfortunately, that the government has made for us that says who is your parent so that you'll know, you know, what the parent actually is on your FAFSA form. If you live with your grandma, but your dad has custody of you, but he's in prison and your mom's gone, then who do you put down? <laughs> so they can definitely get very complicated um, beyond just what it was filling out for my son, which is, you know, he's got two parents, here's our tax information and go. But for a lot of our kids, their parents haven't filed taxes in five years and then you have the child, he's got to be deemed independent. And how do you do that? So it's, it's very challenging. And yes, it's a lot. So a lot of kids that don't have that support would easily just say, this is way beyond what I understand how to do. And there is unfortunately a lot of kids that don't have the opportunity to take advantage of either their athletic or academic skill that's been blessed with them or just their desire to even go to community college because they don't have that support system around them. So what has the program uh, grown to now? How many volunteers do you have? How many employees? How many kids uh, do you have in the program? And do you have an idea of how many kids you've impacted over the years? 
So we um, launched our second campus in 2017 in Salisbury, North Carolina, which is about 35 miles um, east of Statesville and very similar community demographically wise. It's actually a larger population, so we foresee that campus outgrowing our Statesville campus in the coming years. Um, at the Salisbury campus, we'll serve about 90 kids right now. We've just purchased our facility there and we'll be able to expand and renovate uh, the buildings on our site so that we can have a larger capacity. Uh, right now, that's way more kids than our facility will actually operate, but we're hoping to serve probably 150 kids there in the next year if we get the renovations done on the facility. And our Statesville campus will serve about 200 kids here locally, which is seven, our seven-year-old through high school. And then we have about 40 college kids uh, right now that we still mentor and help develop things. Um, Two of our kids got married last year, which is awesome. They're first generation uh, in their family to get married. So we're excited about seeing these kids understand our biblical values that have been taught to them through the years and knowing that was the next step in their walk with their relationship. So it's awesome to see them get married. We have one that's just had his first son. So it's you know great to see these guys growing up to being the dad that they had hoped they would have, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so we still have those. Basically, we look at our son, TJ, who's 22 years old, and we know the need that he still has for his parents. And we recognize that all of our kids that are his age, that are our first generation power cross kids still need that guidance and support. So we still want to provide for them um, and do as much as we can. Right now, those guys, a lot of them that are still in college are home on furlough. So we're trying to help them with their athletic development and everything that they need while they're home during this unusual time. So we support them there. So we'll serve about 250 kids here. We have about 20 total employees that includes part-time and full-time staff. And that ranges anywhere from our cook that helps us prepare all the meals that we serve. We served uh, 90,000 free meals in 2019. And uh, we got a great cook, Doug, that helps us with that. We have academic advisors and tutors that are some paid, some volunteer, bus drivers, coaches, a uh, little bit of everything in between. And then, of course, campus directors. And um, we'll probably run anywhere from 20 to 30 volunteers per site throughout the year. Uh, some of those come in and coach seasonally. Some of those come in and bring meals once a month, or they come in and help with tutoring. It really just varies based on uh, the season of need. Our football season is obviously a larger need because you have more kids on the field at one time, and all of our kids play football. So it's our largest season for sure from July through November. We always need more volunteers than we have. Uh, but we've been blessed. You know, it started out with just my husband and I, and then We'd grow to add one or two people here to help. And for the first you know, 10 years, it was basically just us. So over the last four years, God has really multiplied the ministry and in many ways. And you talk about starting with TJ, your son, bringing home three friends and then bringing home eight friends and it multiplying that way. And of course, we're so proud of TJ because, you know, we look at him as as all of ours and, and uh, uh, take a little bit of pride in him. He is, um, 
I can't remember how tall he is, like six seven or something yep, like he's that. Six seven. Yep, he's a big boy. Oh my goodness! And he's a lineman at um, TCU, going yes, into his senior year. So th- I'm telling you, that school, um, you've you've got a, a great young man who has um, many, many, many brothers uh, uh, birthed uh, spiritually uh, through throughout. What is what do you see in TJ that it has having this ministry, knowing that he's the one who sparked it, he's the one who brought home the friends, but also having to share, share everything, share mom and dad, share food, share a home, uh, share everything. Uh, what has that done? What has that, how's that impacted him? Well, I can definitely say that TJ you know, has the strongest walk with Christ of, of any kid that I've met at his age. Um, I would have loved to have had a quarter of his of his faith when I was 22. Uh, he has definitely grown, and because he is so big, it's kind of the counterintuitive. But he's probably gained a lot of compassion through his time and being at Power Cross. Um, a lot of real world understanding of of growing up differently, but seeing kids that had a different need, different. Uh, home life than he did, and really probably the thing that's that's best about Power Cross is just the the bulk of the kids, staff, coaches there, volunteers. You, know, you have kids that maybe are from an affluent community whose dad wants him to be athletically challenged, so brings him to Power Cross to help coach, and then you know you've got that kid plan with. Um, three kids whose dads are serving life sentences in prison. And you just wouldn't see those kids together in any other capacity. For TJ, he definitely has grown up very colorblind. Uh, there's not not any racism, not any hint of inequality in any of our kids, especially our older kids. Mine, I mean, they are brothers. You know, they FaceTime each other every day at college and talk to each other. And as soon as they're all back in town, you know, the first thing they want to do is congregate back in our house and have dinner and just laugh and laugh the night away. And they're just, they formed a special bond, but they've been able to really just be compassionate. And he is uh, definitely a humble young man with what God has blessed him with. He's had a um, very, not I can't say challenging, but a very interesting road in college to get to the level that he's at today, a perseverance and just He's been able to utilize his faith on mission, basically, at each college that he's been at for football. And uh, we're just really proud of him and his his walk with the Lord. And we um, pray that God will continue to use him. He's given him that big size for a reason. And we hope that it will definitely be part of his platform to be able to continue to share Christ. And what an opportunity to open eyes and through through. Uh, being on the team with uh, different young men of different uh, backgrounds and and having that all molded, being able to um, impart into them. And I know you said a little bit about uh, the Power Cross coming to Clemson when Kyle was there uh, playing football and baseball, my son, my oldest son. And the neat thing about that is Kyle still talks about that today, about how he was so thrilled to be able to have uh, all the boys come and and to be able to experience a college atmosphere and they're cheering for him 
and, and that kind of thing. Can you name, so we've got Clemson, we've got TCU. Can you name some of the campuses uh, where you have uh, uh, boys who have played or are playing right now that have grown up uh, playing sport at Power Cross? Yeah, probably our, our larger um, campuses right now. Of course, our son is at TCU and we have Kendrick Clark, who is also TJ's age. He's running back at Appalachian State University. We had uh, Josh Brown just graduated from Florida State. That's something else we're extremely proud of. We'll have eight kids graduate college this year that you know, probably had no business graduating high school. So we're very excited um, about that. We've got uh, Jabril Williams playing at Elon. Uh, university, which is here in North Carolina. We've had kids play at NC Central. We've had kids play at Bridgewater College. Um, we've got a kid that's going to be going down to um, Wingate and Winthrop, both of those. We've had kids at Montreat College, Rockingham College. Uh, really, pretty much we're blessed in North Carolina that there is a huge amount of colleges here locally, but we have had you know kids that kind of spread their wings a little bit. We've got um, young man playing minor league baseball right now down in the Frontier League um, out in Arizona. And then we've got uh, Logan Davidson, who graduated from Clemson and was drafted uh, by the Oakland A's, who's home right now due to the virus. But he was out in Arizona as well. Uh, we've got kids at UNC Charlotte. Really, we've been been blessed to see them go locally, which is great, but also to be able to spread their wings and go a little bit further away. Um, we have some great recruits out of our class of 2021, which we're really excited about. That's the first class that we'll have had in our program from the time they were eight years old all the way through high school. Um, and those kids are being highly recruited with offers from Tennessee and Kentucky and uh, Auburn and all kinds of great schools that we've really been able to see these kids that have been able to be embedded in our program for you know 10 years that it's really been fruitful uh, for them the discipline and the desire to get better and seeing those kids that went before them and knowing that they were able to achieve the same thing. And my husband, when he tells coaches about some of your, your players, he said, listen, you don't have to worry about the grades. You don't have to worry about the lack of discipline. And you don't have to worry about the character uh, development because they've experienced all of that growing up in this ministry. You're getting the best of the best. So what a great job of taking these young men who, like you said, would normally end up incarcerated or, you know, unemployed or not being able to move and to do the things that God so gifted them with and giving them the tools to be able to use their gifts and be able to be productive citizens, giving back and being such a huge win-win for all of those around. So what a great testimony uh, Power Cross is to not just your community, but to 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 the rest of the United States as a, as a great tool to use athletics to bring along the best in these young men. Well, thank you. We, we believe strongly in athletics. My husband and I were both, you know, athletes in, in our own right growing up, obviously not strong collegiate athletes, but we just understood the value of community through athletics and just that it's a level playing field for everyone around. And again, when we saw our son and we wanted to make provision for him to have opportunity, we just felt that all of the kids uh, who didn't have a parent who could get them there or a parent who didn't care if they got there or didn't have the money for entrance fees or what have you, that those kids deserve the same opportunity. And we don't want to just give kids stuff. So we want them to be able to 
to have responsibility and something on the back end that they're doing. Um, each month we give the kids a calendar and that's basically, we tell them it's their job calendar. Their job is to be a student athlete that's learning to walk with Christ. And everything's free that we provide for them as long as they, you know, show up when they're supposed to and are a good teammate and do the things that they need to do. But we definitely believe strongly that athletics can play a huge role in a kid's life. Student athletes graduate at a much higher rate nationally um, than just a kid that just attends school. Uh, one, because they have to attend school the day they want to play and practice, which obviously is going to show a reflection on your grades as well and your behavior because you have to be there. Um, we've seen our kids that quit athletics before they get on to high school, and a lot of them struggle. And it's a, it's a difficult road for the ones that don't at least stick it out through high school because they don't have the same structure and accountability that the kids that are involved in athletics. So we really believe that it's a platform that we are with. We know that for some people it might be music or it might be drama or it might be art, um, something outdoors, which is great. You know, my husband and I just feel called specifically for the athletics of the young men. And we believe in raising up young men to be leaders of their home and that a lot of the other problems that we see throughout our communities um, will basically be able to alleviate themselves if we can return the men to their rightful positions in the home. So we definitely think that athletics has a huge tool for kids of all ages. Definitely agree with that. And as a family who's raised kids at the ball field, uh, some practical things. Um, Give a kid a ride who needs a ride. Give a kid a meal who needs a meal. I know many times when my kids were going to different showcases or camps, we took other kids with us. So there's practical things. Can you think of some things that maybe there's not a power cross in the community, but something that just a normal family who's raising their kids at the ball field can do? Yeah, I think the easiest thing is really just to open your eyes to what's around you and to see the need and to be willing to act on it. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a ride. Sometimes it's just a hug for the kid who doesn't have anybody in the stands after the game. Um, for us, obviously, we started very organically and small and just saw an immediate need with a few kids and it multiplied. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't have the same impact on just one child. So like you're saying, if there's a kid that you know, would like to participate in something, but maybe has the obstacle of he's the only childcare at home or he's the uh, main person that doesn't have a ride or he struggles academically but can't stay after school for tutoring because he's a bus rider or she doesn't have to be he's, he's, he's in our world. But there's all kinds of little things that can be made to happen. Um, it can be as simple as buying an extra mouthpiece for the kid who you know is not going to have one when he shows up to practice uh, in football season. Uh, buying an extra pair of cleats or even just handing down the ones that you use that are still in great shape. But I think it's really, it's, it's not as hard as it seems. It just takes a little effort and takes us out of our comfort zone. And so you have to be willing to maybe be a little uncomfortable, but to serve at a higher capacity if you're willing to do that. And I'm telling you, the reward is so, is so much greater. Um, you're talking about hand-me-downs. I, I remember uh, giving a whole bunch of Parker boy jerseys to, yep. to Power Cross, and you, you took a picture, and it was several boys on the sidelines of the practice field, and, and they had on all the Parker jerseys, and it's my favorite. It's my favorite picture of all time because it just shows that just a little thing uh, can can make such a, a tremendous impact. So 
thank you so much for being an example of that, Natalie. And if people want to give and find out more about PowerCross, they can go to your website at powercross.org. Yep, they can go to our website, powercross.org. Uh, we also have pretty active social media channels, so you can go visit uh, PowerCross Ministry on Facebook or on Instagram. And those will also be pretty active updates. But, yep, we'd love. Or if you're uh, local and you want to come up for a tour, let us show you around. We'd love to plug you in in some capacity. Or if you're just driving through, then just give us a call and we'll be happy to sneak you in for a tour. And that's uh, the Statesville or Salisbury, uh, North Carolina area. Yes, ma'am. Natalie, thank you so much. You're such a blessing and just so thankful that we can partner with you in just any way uh, to help do what you're doing. You guys are on the front line. You're making a huge difference in our world. And just thank you for everything you're doing. Well, we appreciate that. We appreciate your podcast and you bringing awareness to ways that people's lives can be changed on the ball field. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Kathy. You guys have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Ball Field, where we are using lessons learned in sports to positively impact our family and others. And for more information on how you can be a positive influence beyond the ball field, go to our website, beyondtheballfield.com.